It was an unusually warm night in fall as I was driving home in the city after a long day of work. The route I usually drove home was blocked off due to an accident, so my only other choice going home was an alternate route through a bad neighborhood. I was not thrilled to have to drive this more dangerous route, so I turned up my music and tried to distract myself. I started thinking of my plans for when I got home. Have some dinner, relax, maybe watch a movie. As I was driving along, I noticed something in the road not too far in front of me. I turned down the music. As I drove closer, I could start to make out what was in the road. It was a person. I hit the brakes and I halted to a stop as the person in the road squinted at me through the brightness of my headlights, about 25 feet in front of my car. It was a boy, maybe in his early teens. He began to slowly crawl towards my car, his feet lifelessly dragging behind him. I heard him moaning. I was frozen with fear. I felt like I had stumbled into a nightmare. I looked around, but no one was around. I wanted to help the boy, but my mind started to race with possibilities. I was in a very bad neighborhood. What if the boy wasn't really hurt and was trying to get me out of my car so that someone else could mug me or steal my car? Or if the boy really was hurt, what if the person who hurt this child was still nearby and was ready to attack anyone who stopped to help? My mind continued to race as the boy slowly continued to crawl towards my car, calling out again. I looked around again, and still no one was around. Just then, a familiar thought popped into my head. What if I just drove away and never looked back? No one was around, so I might be able to get away with it. However, my thoughts were interrupted by an even more desperate sounding. The boy continued to crawl closer and closer to me. I knew I had to do something. With slight apprehension, I turned off the engine, took a deep breath, and got out of the car to help the boy. However, just as I began to approach the boy, he quickly crawled towards the sidewalk and out of sight between a couple of parked cars. I pursued after him, but when I got to where he crawled, there was no sign of the boy. I called out for him and checked all around and underneath the parked cars, but still I didn't see the boy. I'm just trying to help. I'm not trying to hurt you. I yelled out as my lonesome voice echoed out into the empty streets. I looked around a little more, but still no sign of the boy. I started to walk back to the car when something caught my eye that was on the pole of the street lamp. There was a wreath of flowers with a picture of a boy in the center. It was hard to tell, but... The picture looked a lot like the boy I had just seen in the road. Under the picture, it said, Anthony Garcia, January 8th, 2005 to December 13th, 2018. I felt my stomach get queasy. Today's date was December 13th, 2019. Suddenly, my consciousness became flooded with memories from a year ago to this day. I was driving home from work on the very same road I was driving tonight. 
I was running late for an appointment and was maybe going a little faster than I should have. As I was speeding along, I was taking bites out of my sandwich I'd saved for dinner. As I took a big bite, a pickle wedge jumped out of the sandwich and onto the floor near the gas pedal. Just as I reached down to grab it, I took my eyes off the road and a sudden loud thud jolted the car. I slammed on the brakes and looked into the rearview mirror. There was a mound of something lying in the road behind me. I looked around, but saw no one. I told myself it was nothing, probably just a bag of garbage or a raccoon or something. So I raced home, knuckles white from holding onto the steering wheel too tightly. When I got home, I got out and checked the front of my vehicle. There was a small dent with a little red smudge in the center of the dent. Okay, so I hid an animal. Big deal. It happens all the time. The poor creatures don't know any better. I wiped off the smudge of blood on the front of my car and threw out the rag. But I continued to shake. So I stopped, took a deep breath, and told myself, It was just an animal. There's nothing to worry about. It's best to just forget this ever happened. So I did my best to forget about that night. And it seemed to work. Until now, that is. My flashback from a year ago had ended and I was returned to the present terrifying moment. Trembling, I ran back to my car, still double parked in the street. I got in and closed my eyes. This is all just a weird coincidence. I never hit a boy that night, and I didn't just see a boy in the street. It's just my mind playing tricks on me. I just need to get home, relax, and take it easy. However, when I opened my eyes, I saw someone in my peripheral vision sitting in the passenger seat next to me. It was a boy. The same boy that was in the road calling out for help. The same boy that was in the picture on the memorial lamppost. The same boy I must have run over a year ago. I stared in disbelief as his sad eyes began to sink back into his head, creating a pair of empty black holes. His skin began to dry up and rot right before my eyes. I frantically reached for the car door handle, pulled the handle, and sprung back out of the car into the next lane over and... Oh boy, what a drag. If it were me, I would have run the boy over both times and never looked back. Maybe that's why I don't have a driver's license. Anyway, our next story is called... Dreams. <laughs> live a pretty regular life. I have a steady job at the office. It's not the most exciting, but I like my coworkers. I still live with my parents. I thought about moving out, but it's nice being with them. Plus, my sister and brothers are here. I love my family. Really, the only bad thing about my life is at night. I've had vivid, recurring nightmares for as long as I can remember. It was getting late now and I always build up a sense of dread at this time of day, knowing I'll soon be returning to my nightly sentence in hell. As I brush my teeth, I try not to think about that, and think about the report I need to type up at work tomorrow. I hopped into bed and reluctantly closed my eyes. Here we go again. I woke in the familiar cell, restrained to the bed, staring up at the black ceiling. I already knew why it's black, and why it's pulsating. One by one, little spiders lowered down on their silk strings, dropping down to land on me. They were tiny like the size of a pinhead, but as they lowered, they grew rapidly. These horrible creatures expanded to the size of a dog, approaching my head with all their arms outstretched. I closed my eyes and braced myself for the impending bites. 
Good morning, patient 13. It was the nurse. Every morning in my dream, she comes in and forces me to drink this awful medicine as an overwhelming artificial flavor of pickle juice. She then released me from the restraints, and I'm free to wander around the asylum. Every day I do wander around, but I always regret it. Today, I make my way out into the hall. The shadows don't ever seem to obey the laws of physics, but instead they shift around and move continuously. The security guards hide in these shadows. Sometimes it seems like the guards are shadows themselves. I walk nervously past these dancing shadows when suddenly I am caught. Did you take your medicine this morning, 13? The guard asked. Outside of this nightmare hellhole, I can hold my own pretty well. Been here, I just submit and take my beating because there's nothing I can do. The guard raised his club over me and suddenly he burst into flames as they tend to do. His flailing, fiery arms came wailing down on me with impossible speed. I felt a rib crack as I started gushing out sweat from the intense heat of the flame. Suddenly, the guard vanished back into the shadow where he came from. I finally make my way into the common area. Sometimes I'll see familiar faces, but usually it's a new cast of nut jobs every dream. As a result, I generally keep to myself. At supper time, we all head to the cafeteria. Another plentiful pickle platter. We have mashed pickles with the coagulated pickle gravy, along with pickles on the side, all washed down with a stale cup of pickle juice. I know these pickles aren't kept in jars, but rather massive storage tanks deep below the building. I start to wonder how long they've been down there, and where the hell they came from, and what else might be growing in them. But then I remember, this is my nightmare, and this is my brain's fault for those damn pickles. After gagging down all those pickles, I quickly make my way back to my cell. I'm always so excited to hop into bed and wake up back in my real life. I wake up in my real warm, comfy bed, and then I hop out and get ready for work. In the mornings, I'm so grateful to be back in reality that I don't even think about the dreams. I should probably get checked by a doctor, but not right now. At work, I type away like a productive worker bee. The work isn't particularly rewarding, but I do get a sense of satisfaction by pressing all those buttons. As the day drew to an end, I started dreading the night. I hope there won't be spiders again. I really hope there won't be slugs again. Sometimes the slugs ooze their way up from the pickle tanks. Slow yet steady, they glide all the way up and into my cell. When I am still restrained, they have free reign to climb all over me and engulf me in their slime. One time they even started to slither down my throat. Then they all burst into flames, like their ooze was actually napalm. I was burning from the inside out, and even though it's a dream... The pain was real. I drift off to sleep and hope for the best. I open my eyes, but there was a guard standing directly over me. Get up, 13. Let's move it. The guard preemptively ignited himself and started whacking me with the flaming stick to get me to hurry. I scrambled up and proceeded down the hall as the guard prodded me along. He gave me one more firm crack to the back of the head, and I tumble into the procedure room. The doctor will take it from here, the guard said as he slammed the door shut, leaving me on the dark, cold floor. I felt a little woozy, so I let myself close my eyes. When I awoke, I was back in my cell, this time with two doctors and multiple nurses all looking at me. Oh good, patient 13 is up, one doctor said. You are probably feeling a mild headache right now. You underwent a minimally invasive operation and it appears to be very successful. After we remove the troublesome lobes, your hallucinations should finally go away. Wait, troublesome lobes? 
Lobes of what? My headache isn't mild, it's excruciating, I told them. Certain lobes of your brain were overreacting, and they had to be removed. Your mild headaches could subside, eventually, we hope. But we are sure that is worth it for regaining clarity in your daily life. The only other mild side effect is that by eliminating your hallucinations, it will also prevent you from having dreams. My dreams? Well then what the hell am I doing here? Patient 13, this is not a dream. This is reality, I can assure you. We know that you have suffered tremendously from your hallucinations, brought on by the trauma of losing your family in the fire at the pickle factory so many years ago. I remember when you were just a young lad, when you were first committed to our institution. No, that can't. What? No, this is not happening. No, no, this, no, no. Sometimes I wonder if all of this isn't actually real. That it's all just a dream. But then I come back to reality and realize that I'm a ghoul who feasts on dead bodies for fun. It's actually a pretty nice life. Or afterlife. Anywho, the next story is called The Rocks. While back, I used to go on a lot of solo camping trips up north. Most of the trips I took were either to national parks or resorts, and I'd usually try to go places where I wouldn't run into too many people. I had a lot of fun doing it, until I took this one trip I'll never forget. It was around November, and I had decided to drive up the west coast to camp along the ocean. The landscape is pretty neat up there, and if you drive far enough north, you could get to some pretty desolate areas. So I took off work in the middle of the week and headed out early in the morning. For most of the trip, things were going as planned. It was nearly winter, so it was cold and there was a lot of overcast, but there wasn't any rain expected. I drove for a while, every now and then stopping to take pictures or just rest a bit. Earlier on, the road was a bit busy, but toward the end of the day, I began getting so far north and away from any major town that there wasn't many people around which was really what I wanted from the trip. I had probably driven for nearly five hours before I decided I should start looking for places to camp. I had seen a few places here and there, but nothing I was really interested in. I usually got pretty picky when it came to my camping spots, and it didn't help that the ocean side was mostly rocky at this point. But eventually I found this road that cut off from the main highway and went down toward the ocean. I wasn't sure if it would lead anywhere, but I decided to take it, and it actually led to some pretty decent beaches next to some cliffs. It wasn't anything great, but at this point, it was too late for me to keep looking, and the wind seemed to ease up in this area, so I decided to stay there for the night. I set up my tent and got some things ready to cook. I had some time before sunset, so... I figured I'd walk down the beach a little toward the cliffs to see if there was anything interesting. I walked for a bit, and eventually I went up and over this hill that let me see down to the base of the cliffs. At first it didn't look like there was much to see, but eventually I noticed what looked like a group of people standing on a small beach at the cliff's base. The figures were dark, and 
hard to make out, but they seem to just be standing there, either looking out at the ocean or something along the beach. I hadn't seen any cars or people for miles, so this was a surprise to me. I decided to walk down to see who they were or what they were looking at. As I got closer, I began to realize that they weren't people. They were these rocks or sculptures. There had to be a dozen of them, all standing about five meters away from each other. I finally got down to them, and up close, they didn't seem to resemble people at all. They were just kind of these cylindric rocks sticking out of the beach, some of them taller than me. They were different than the rocks and cliffs around them, kind of this dark gray, almost metallic color. Some of them leaned a bit to one side, but most of them stood up straight. I remember walking between them felt strange. I mean, they were just rocks, but there was something different about them. Maybe it was just their shape, but at times I felt like I wasn't alone. Like the feeling you get when you're in a group of people that you don't know. Whenever I would focus on one, it felt like the others behind me were watching what I was doing. At one point, I reached out to touch one to try and see what they were made of. It definitely felt like stone and didn't have any sand on it. I wanted to see how they stayed up so I tried to push it a little to see if it would wobble. I remember when I did this, I heard this sound behind me. It sounded like something cracking. I turned around but there was nothing there but the rocks. After a while, I finally figured someone must have carved the things out. For whatever reason, they kind of creeped me out, and it was getting late, so I decided to head back to my camp to get some rest. I was tired from the drive, so I set up a fire and decided to get to bed a little early. I couldn't see the rocks from where I was camping, but knew what direction they were in. It was strange. It felt good to be away from them, but I had this uneasy urge to check and see if they were still there. Eventually, I figured I was working myself up. I had never camped along the beach, so thought being out of my element was getting to me. I got a few things ready for the next morning and eventually went to bed in my tent. I don't know what time it was, but at some point that night, something woke me up. It was as if I went from a dead sleep to being fully awake and aware. The kind of awareness you are when you're on edge, you know? Like when something's not right. I sat up for a while, listening to what could have woken me up, but didn't hear anything unusual. I stuck my head outside for a bit, but didn't see anything either. The wind had picked up a lot, and the ocean was now pretty noisy, so I figured it might have been that. So I laid back down. I was almost nodding off again when... I heard a small sound outside of my tent. I couldn't make out what it was and didn't want to leave my tent but decided to go look around to make sure I was in an okay spot. The fire had gone out so I couldn't see much but it didn't look like there was anything around my camp. I stood there for a while trying to find out what could have made the sound but couldn't see anything. I eventually gave up and began to go back into my tent, but as I was doing this, 
I heard the sound again. This time it was clear. It was that cracking sound. The same one I heard down by the rocks. It sounded like it wasn't far from me. I turned my head toward its direction. I remember looking into the darkness trying to figure out if there was anything there. Eventually my eyes started to adjust and I couldn't believe what I saw. It was just a silhouette, but I recognized what it was. It was one of the rocks I had seen earlier. It couldn't have been more than 10 meters from where I was standing. As I stared at it, I began to notice more of them around it. They were the exact same rocks. My stomach began to curl and my heart sank. I couldn't understand what was going on. For a moment, I wondered if someone was playing a trick on me, but no one could have moved those rocks that quickly. I know it sounds crazy, but I suddenly got the feeling that I was in danger. I felt the need to get in my car and leave, so I began gathering my things. While I was doing this, I got the same feeling I did when I had first walked down to the rocks. This feeling that I didn't want to turn my back on them. So I did my best to keep the rocks in view, but eventually something called for me to turn around. And whenever I did, that horrible sound would come again. I can't describe it well, but something about that sound filled me with disgust. It was coming directly from the rocks. I picked up my pace and just started throwing whatever I could into my car. But as I was doing this, the noises became more persistent and louder. Eventually, it got to be too much for me. I decided to leave half my stuff there and just got into my car and turned it on and drove away. To this day, I have no idea what I witnessed there. But something tells me if I had stayed that night, I might not be here to tell this story. right down my spine. Actually, I lied. I don't have a spine. I'm a ghoul, remember? Instead of a spine, I just have a long string of goo. It's squishy, but it gets the job done. Our last story is called Nope, Sir. <laughs> Click. He jumps awake. The blood rushing to his head makes him swoon. He reaches up and presses hard on his head. Fuck. He's out of breath. He tries to find his footing on the cold, tiled floor, but his knees wobble enough to kick him out from underneath, and he slams onto the floor. His clammy hands clap the tiles, and it begins to ping around the room. He pushes himself up off the floor and eventually finds his footing, and is able to balance with enough cognizance in his limbs and how they're supposed to feel with a 210-pound man trying to balance on top of them. The room is a plain, small room. It was a room small enough to fit only about one and a half twin-size beds, if you're lucky. The walls are bare and white with fluorescent bulbs, and a singular vent in the upper right corner about the size of a big ham sandwich. He was hungry. The sound of his stomach was audible, but it paled in comparison to the cavernous echoes that erupted in his brain. He tries to recall the last time he remembered eating, but it seemed so distant that it felt like years since his last meal. 
then he realized that no matter how far he pushes back in his mind, he's finding it really hard to recall anything about himself at all. He can only remember his guacamole recipe and how hard it was to stand up. It must be a head injury, he thought. His first thought was to look down at his clothes and see if he was in a prisoner jumpsuit or a hospital gown. It had to be one of those, he thought. Why would anyone willingly sleep in this room? But he noted nothing out of the ordinary about his jacket. He looked like anyone would. Denim jacket, plaid shirt, jeans. The absence of shoes was most noticeably estranged from the rest of the ensemble. It made it hard to walk on the floor. It it made it feel more like an ice rink. While his clothes seemed very regular in appearance, his search through his pockets seemed to come up with a sense of dread that he just wasn't prepared for. His fingertips immediately halted upon entry to each of his own attempts to pry for more information. The fake pockets were stitched shut everywhere on his pants and his jacket. Why does he have fake pockets? If this was a prison, why would they give him clothes that match the outside world? If this was a hospital, was this to assure that he was subjected to familiar surrounding of sorts? giving him a comfortable place to be in. All these thoughts went through his head in quick succession. He gathers himself and heads to the door and expects the handle to be just as fake as his pockets, but just as locked as it is fake. There's not a single possibility that this door is unlocked. And yet, it is unlocked. The door begins to open right up and the man's hand snaps back. Was this a trap? He pushes the door open. Beyond the door is a window that shines on him with such intensity that it causes him to reel back into the room with his arms covering his eyes like a vampire. In any other situation, he would have wanted to make the fang-exposing hiss sound. But this was not the time for that. Was that a memory? Does he have a sense of humor? His eyes begin acclimating to the brightness, and he can start to make out the hallway outside. It still seems very bright outside, but at least he can see the hallway on the inside, so he begins to step into it and quickly looks to his left and right. It's a completely empty hallway. One side is window pane after window pane, letting in the brightness in the outside world. As he approaches the windows, he realizes that it's still too bright outside, and it looks as if it were just snowing with the most intense snowstorm the planet has ever seen. He places his hand on the glass to sense how cold it was, but feels only heat, intense heat. He pulls back and attempts to shake off the heat. He swears he could see smoke coming off, but maybe that was just from the migraine. Down the hall to the left was a row of other doors, seemingly like his. At the very end of the hall, there was a double door that read, Do not enter, not an exit. To the right was even more small rooms, and further down at the end was a door that says, Start. He wasn't sure of where to go. Through looking to his left and right, trying to stomach the courage of what and how and what needs to be done, he noticed two things. First was the fact that the do not enter, not an exit sign, would ever so often flicker all but its last word. He immediately found this very odd, as it certainly didn't look like it was electronic, and the word seemed painted directly on the door itself. Migraine has to be. Secondly, he noticed that just on the outside of his door was a small plaque that read his name, Jack, 7021-alpha. Okay, he thought, good to know my name, good name, classic name, 
maybe overused. Jack decides to break the rules and go for the not an exit, but is immediately stopped in his tracks two steps in. He noticed that a lot of these doors are open or closed. It actually worried him as he was expecting someone else to break out and possibly hurt him, but at this point, he didn't care about that. After realizing he had a name, it's also within reason that he should also check out what other people's names are, and was shocked to find that everyone else was named Jack. What looked like 24 rooms in total, all of them had the name Jack under it, with a different number underneath. He began quickly walking toward the door, making sure to stick tightly to the wall of windows as he peered inside all the empty rooms and quickly hurried past the closed ones. He understands that if he woke up the way he did and he saw some random guy outside his door just a few minutes ago, he would have attacked them without question. So why wouldn't anyone else? As he reached the door, he began to hustle a little quicker until he stopped dead in his tracks. Squeak. Beside the fact that there is a person in the last room, Jack was also alerted by the squeak his shoes made when he stopped on the tiled surface. When did I get shoes, he thought. The squeak also caused the man inside the room to clamber over his bed and turtled into the corner of the room facing next to the wall. Jack noticed that the room is actually not lit by the fluorescence and is entirely lit by the sun pouring in from the windows, and yet it's still very dark and everything is obscured. He sees that this man is just as lost as he is. His or-flight instincts were kicking up a lot of dirt as he held them back. He fought the temptation and fought with his feet to take a step forward toward consolation. Hey, are are you alright? He begins, but is interrupted. What was that? Look, I'm not a bad guy. I want to help you. The man in the corner kept saying something under his breath with a slight off-putting cadence. Jack couldn't figure out what it was that compelled him, but he truly did want to help, so he took a look at the man's name. Jack147P-Alpha. I don't know what these numbers and letters are, he thought. What are you saying? Jack, why do you keep saying nope sir to me? I am not a sir. You don't have to call me that. Nope, sir. 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 The man said slightly louder, but still in hushed tones. Nope, sir. Nope, sir. Nope, sir. Nope, sir. Nope, sir. Nope, sir. Stop saying that, please. Jack said, "Let's get out of here. I'll help you." Nope, sir. Nope, sir. Nope, sir. You know what? Jack asks, hands up. Fuck this. Jack walks towards the door and busts it open. Blood everywhere blood and bodies and the stuff inside bodies his eyes widen in the dark pitch black room but the important carnage is ever so slightly lit up to where you know what you're looking at the bodies all seemed to be men and of nearly the same body type and build at first it seems like the room is filled with maybe 25 bodies but shortly after realizing what he was seeing jack noticed that the room is not actually a room but a giant open void of black nothingness with a floor of dead bodies that go on for eons across seemingly empty and black skies. Off in the distance, a flicker of light illuminates a section of people that is miles and miles from where Jack currently stands, billions and billions of dead bodies. Hell. I'm in hell, Jack said as he began to retreat back into the hallway. This is fucking hell. What did I ever do to end up in fucking hell 
This isn't hell. Nope, sir. Nope, sir. Nope, sir. This isn't hell. Nope, sir. Nope, sir. Nope, sir. Not explicitly, anyway. Nope, sir. Nope, sir. The man in the corner still faces the wall. The, the others just got out and walked on out, but I was stuck with this stupid fucking headache and decided to go the other fucking way. He begins to stand up. Nope, sir. Nope, sir. Nope, sir. Nope, sir. Nope, sir. Nope, sir. His tone shifted completely from unhinged to prepared. Nope, sir. Nope, sir. I just had to go the fucking wrong way. The man steps forward from the shadows and reveals a man that looks familiar to Jack until it hits him when he understands that if he at all remembered what he looked like, that this man now standing in front of him was an exact copy of himself. Looks like looking into the fucking mirror, huh? The man says as Jack begins to run towards start, only his shoes slip in the blood he unknowingly brought in with him. His face lands awkwardly, but just enough to give him a second look back into the room with the corpses piled high. Without question, he realized that every single body in that room is a copy of a copy of a copy of Jack. The man now looming over Jack says, Nope, sir. A fucking mirror. Jack scrambles to his feet and runs toward the start door. Before bursting through, he checked to see if he was being chased. He wasn't. Apprehensively, he turns around and opens the door and walks in. The room is just as large as the body room, only a giant glass wall stands about a hundred feet in front of him, with a black void spanning miles and miles beyond that. There's an incredible silence. He starts to notice that his head has stopped pounding, and his sore interiors and exteriors are all but healed and corrected themselves. He's never felt better. He's also never felt. Where did this gun come from? The darkness in the room shifted suddenly and quickly to a bright shine of bright orange. Vampire arm shield up and ready, Jack adjusts his eyes to take a look at the source of light. Nope, sir. Only it wasn't nope, sir, N-O-P-E-S-I-R. As Jack now stands in front of a bright sign that reads N-W-A-P-S-E-R in reverse. Nope, sir. Nwap, sir. Click. <laughs> Speaking of respawning, I was playing this video game last night where my character kept dying and respawning over and over and over again. There's no punchline there, I just like playing video games. Well, that's it for this round of spooky stories. Until next time, my fellow ghouls. <laughs>